0: Well, I'm excited to be with you for the next three weeks as we look at how to make peace in our relationships when they are in conflict. And y'all, we have developed a lot of additional resources for you for this series, Uh, videos, podcasts. I've even written an interpretive paper for Philippians chapter 4 for the text we're looking at. And so be sure and take advantage of those at city.church. Make peace. And so I hope that you'll um, be able to use those for yourself and hand them around to friends and things like that, put them onto it as well. You know, when Linda and I got married 33 years ago, our first house was a 350 foot square dump. I wore this shirt on purpose because this was the color of the carpet in the master bedroom. And I use that term very loosely because it was the only bedroom, of course. If you came in at night, you really didn't even have to turn the lights on. It was like the carpet was glowing in the dark. Uh, I think probably the most memorable thing, though, about this house is that the toilet... Leaned so hard to the left that when you sat on it, it wanted to catapult you into the bathtub that was just right there. But you know what? Linda and I didn't care because we were in love. And I learned something from that first house. When your relationships are good, nothing else has to be. But when they're bad almost nothing else can be. In fact, let me read that for you one more time. It's so important. When your relationships are good, nothing else has to be. But when they're bad, almost nothing else can be. And there's a reason. True happiness isn't about what you have. It's about who you're with. Happiness is about our relationships. And because this is true, when our relationships are wrong, our happiness is gone. So if you want to be happy, you've got to try to make peace in your relationships. And that's what this next three weeks is about. And so I hope it'll be helpful to you. Let's pray together and we'll get started on the first step to making peace uh, in just a second. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. And Lord, as we come together, I know that almost all of us at some level are experiencing conflict in some of our relationships. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, open our hearts And our minds to hear what you have to say. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you ever catch yourself having conversations with people who aren't even there? You know, as some of you know, I do a fair amount of cycling. And when I'm out on scenic loop for a ride, I often catch myself having one of these phantom conversations, as I call them. And usually they aren't good. Because inevitably, they're with a person that I'm in conflict with. And since that person isn't there, I feel pretty free to say anything to them that I want. And I usually say it with no filter. So if I think it, I say it. If I think the dude's a jerk, I tell him so. If, we're, uh, if I don't want to be his friend anymore, I just tell him all the reasons why. And if we're in a disagreement, I go over all the reasons that I am positive that he's wrong and I'm right. And I repeat these things over and over again to myself. It's like saying them once isn't enough. In fact, it's like I almost can't control the number of times I say it because my emotions are so ramped up. It's like the conflict has overwhelmed me so that if I can't get beyond it, I'm going to have a really big problem. Now, I bet you have had Phantom conversations yourself. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person in the room doing this Maybe you've had him with your ex as you remind him or her Just how messed up. They are or with your mother-in-law as you tell her to keep her opinions to herself If you want to know you'll ask and you know, you don't plan on asking or with your boss As you lay out all the reasons why your ideas are better than hers. Conflict in our relationships causes us big problems and big heartache. Conflict uh, disorients us emotionally. We say and do things that we otherwise would not say and do. Conflict leads to decisions that... We later regret because we act on emotional impulse. Conflict distracts us from the things that we really would rather pay attention to and that deserve our energy and attention. And yet, this isn't really what any of us want our relationships to be or to do. We want relationships, don't we, that are encouraging, that work, that help us live better lives. Because these are the kinds of relationships that make you and me happy. Because we know, when your relationships are good, nothing else has to be. But when they're bad, almost nothing else can be. Now let's be honest. All of us experience conflict. We're imperfect people and so we really shouldn't expect that all of our relationships are going to be perfect. And if you think about it, conflict in itself isn't always bad. Sometimes it's the very thing that spurs us on to make changes that we need to make in our lives. What's bad is when our relationships exhaust us to the point that we just don't care anymore. What's bad is when one person in the relationship wants to make peace but the other doesn't because it takes two to make peace bad relationships affect our relationship with God because we measure our love for God by our love for others what's bad is when a person who has every reason to be happy isn't because of an unresolved conflict in a relationship What's bad is when you consistently have conflict in most of your relationships, and it finally dawns on you that you're the common problem, but you don't know why. And what's worse is when it never dawns on you that you're the problem. So how do we turn conflict into peace and solve our relational problems? Well, I'd like to begin to answer uh, this question today. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gave us a three-step process for making peace. The relational conflict that Paul was addressing was between, between two women named Euodia and Syntyche, who had helped Paul start the church in Philippi. Now, this was the first church that was ever started on European soil, and women played a foundational role in its beginning. But over the years, apparently, Yodi and Syntyche had gotten into a conflict regarding which of them was most important, and their interpersonal battle was spreading like a cancer and was causing division among others. So Paul laid out the first step for making peace in a three-step process. And here is what he said. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Now, if you're like a lot of people, you might be thinking, uh, Witty, that's not quite what I expected Paul to say. It seems a little oversimplistic and even a little cryptic. I mean, uh, the meaning isn't immediately obvious. And what does rejoicing in the Lord, whatever that is, have to do with making peace in my relationships? Well, let me try to explain. When you and I get into conflict with another person, we tend to fixate on that person. We might even get to the point where we blame them for everything that's wrong in our lives. But of course, when we do this, we've completely lost objectivity because no one other person is responsible for everything that's right or wrong in our lives. And without objectivity, it's hard to make peace because it's difficult to frame the conflict when you can't be objective about it. And so Paul said step one in making peace is to change your perspective by focusing on God instead of fixating on the person. Now, I know this idea of focusing on God sounds a little bit churchy. We're in church. I get that. But, you know, what about for those of you who are on the edge of church? You're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. Why do you guys always have to put God in the middle of it? Well, we're in church. But it's actually brilliant advice anyway. And I want to try to show you why this little piece of advice that Paul gave is so brilliant for all of us. Now, um, I, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, I want you to notice that he repeated this advice twice. And he did this for emphasis. Also, I want you to notice that he said to do this always. A word that implies focus. But what did Paul specifically want them to focus on? Well, he wanted them to focus on God. He said, Rejoice in the Lord. Now, the word rejoice refers to having an over the top celebration. If you think of how fans celebrate whenever the Spurs win the championship, you've got the picture, okay? So let's apply that. Paul said, Go crazy. But not in blaming the person who failed you, but in celebrating the Lord who has blessed you. Well, why is this such brilliant advice? Well, it's brilliant because it shows us that God has paved the way for your happiness with the blessings that he has given you. You know, as Jesus followers, we don't believe the good things in our lives are just the result of random luck. Why why have you succeeded um, even though you've been through hell to get to where you are today? Why did you come out on the other side? Not everybody does. Why did you get the lucky break to get promoted when most others are not? Why do you make money easily when many others struggle to just pay their bills? How did you luck out and get such an awesome spouse when a lot of people are divorcing for irreconcilable differences? You know, we'd all admit that success in life involves our hard work, it involves our ingenuity, and usually it involves the help of other people. But as people of faith... We believe that all of these are blessings from a personal God who loves us. And when we remember how much we are loved by God, even though our lives may be hard, this has the power to change our perspective and the way we look at conflict. And there is a direct correlation between Your perspective, the way you look at your conflicts and your happiness, there is a direct correlation between those two. And perspective always changes the way we see things. You know, when I was a boy and I'd get a spanking, and, you know, they still did that back in the 20th century, in the 1900s. When I'd get a spanking, my dad would almost always say to me, now this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. (laughs) Now, you know, as a boy, I just didn't believe what dad was saying. In fact, I would never say it to him, but I was always saying it to myself. It's like, dad, are you crazy? But then I became a father. And when I had to discipline my children, I realized that my dad was right. It hurt me more. Then it hurt them. So what changed? Well, my perspective changed. You see, when your perspective changes, everything changes. Because it changes the way you view what is going on. And this happens in our conflicts as well. Whenever we are in relational conflict, if we can change our perspective, then we can change the way we view it. And we have the possibility of making peace in it. And so Paul said, if you want to make peace in your relationships, if you want to be happy, stop fixating on the person who has failed you, a very common thing for us to do, and focus on the God who loves you and has blessed you. Because that will change your perspective. And when your perspective changes, everything changes. Now, y'all, this is brilliant advice by the Apostle Paul. In fact, even if you don't believe in God, even if you think everything is just random luck, looking at the good things in your life will still help you change your perspective and that's what I want us to do today I want you to change your perspective today because this is the first step in making peace I want you to stop fixating on the person you're in conflict with and I want you to start focusing on all the things that are good in your life so how do we do that practically how do we do this Well, the shortcut to making peace is often making a list. And when you came in today, you were given the good life chart and a pen or pencil. And so I want you to take these out and we're going to do a simple exercise together that can help you change your perspective. You know, when pilots get disoriented while flying, it is, uh, and it's often due to unusual weather conditions, they have to go back to their instrument panel in order to regain their perspective. If they don't, they'll crash in what pilots call black hole vertigo, which is the inability to tell the difference between up and down. In other words, They lose their perspective. And when you and I get into relational conflicts, we often lose the ability to tell the difference between what matters and what really doesn't matter. And sometimes we overreact to the conflicts that we're having. And so I want you to think of the good life chart as your instrument panel for regaining your perspective. So let's just briefly work our way through this chart. Now, the chart has seven questions on it, and it covers the seven basic areas of your life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you these seven basic questions. Now, I realize that there may be some things wrong in all of these areas of your life, but I'm asking you to focus on what is good in each of them. And here's what I want you to do. When I ask you the question, I want you to write down the first word that comes to your mind. And then I'm going to share with you a little bit of the words that I wrote down whenever I did this exercise as well. So ready? Let's get started. All right, question number one. What is the best thing about the place where you live? You know, for me, I wrote down the fact that our place is quiet. It's a place for us to rest and recover. Linda has a really difficult job. She works with sexual assault uh, in South Texas, and this, this work just takes its toll on her. And for Linda to have a place to be able to rest and get away from that is a blessing that we enjoy. All right, question number two. What is your favorite thing about your work? You know, working here at City Church is really a pretty good gig. And one of the things that I love about working here is the fact that I have the freedom to create things to serve you. Third question, what surprises you in a good way about your financial status? You know, I wrote that, that Linda and I actually have a bit of money. We have some savings. You know, Linda and I have a good income together now, but we've never actually made a lot of money in our lives. And when our kids were young and we were living overseas, Linda didn't work outside the home. And so for a good 20 years of our life, we just didn't make all that much money, and yet we have some now. And so Linda and I often talk about how did we get to this place in our lives? Well, it's because we're doing what we're teaching you to do. We're doing the 10-10-80 plan where we give 10% a tithe of what we have to our church, then we save 10% or more and We live on the other 80%. And so God has blessed us as we've lived that kind of a disciplined life with our finances. All right, question number four. How have you been blessed in your relationship with God? Now, y'all, I could talk a long time about this. But for me, when I did the exercise, it's that I still remember All those feelings and the things that happened over 50 years ago when I first believed in Jesus and received him as my own personal savior. And it's made all the difference in my life. All right, question number five. What amazes you about your spouse? Well, for me, it's that Linda is so easy to live with because I'm not all that easy to live with. And so if she weren't, we'd be in trouble. Number six, what impresses you about your children? Now, I won't say that my kids haven't given me a couple of gray hairs. They have. But I tell you, I'm amazed at how responsible my young adult children are for themselves. And because they're growing into being such mature young adults, it makes it easy for me to be their father. And then lastly, What do you appreciate most about your friends? Well, for me, part of it is just that I have friends, but it's also that my friends are genuinely interested in what's going on with me. So, you know, when we fixate on the conflicts that we're in, it's easy to think that there's nothing good in our lives. But a process like this shows us that we all have Legitimate reasons to celebrate. Now, making a list like this won't magically make your relational conflicts go away, but here's what it will do. When you gain perspective, big things become small. You know, one of the challenges that all of us face is that our conflicts often seem like they are so big we can't possibly do anything about them. But when we gain perspective, sometimes our conflicts are shrunk. They become small, and they become more manageable. There's hope that we can actually uh, change and win in them. And then the other thing that happens is that the common advantages that we often take for granted become special blessings, and we see them as such from a God who loves us. And that double shift makes it likely, I think, that the phantom conversations will go away. And that's what we really want, isn't it? We want peace in our relationships. And y'all, I am telling you, this can happen to you. And that's why we're doing this series. Because when your relationships are good, nothing else has to be. But when they're bad, almost nothing else can be. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the relationships that we have. I thank you that you seek us out to be in relationship with us. And I pray for us today that we would be people who would Take just a moment to breathe and to gain perspective and to look at all the ways that you've blessed us in our lives. Lord, I pray for those who are in relational conflict. I pray that you would give them strength and endurance, give them patience, and give them the ability to see, in spite of that, all that is good in their life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today has been helpful to you, I want to remind you that we have additional resources available for you that we've produced. We have podcast videos. We have uh, an interpretive PDF of the passage that we're studying, and you can get all of these at peace. and I want to encourage you to do that. Also, I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with um, marital conflict, to check out our Program that takes place on Wednesday night. It's called Reengage. You can learn more about that online or stop by the Burgundy Pavilion. And then also just want to let you know that our prayer team is here. Team, if you would come on, let us pray with you today before you get away from here. And if we can serve you in that way, we would love to do that. And then next week, um, we're going to be looking at step two in Paul's process for making peace. And I just want to tell you right now, what I have to say is something that none of you want to hear. You're not going to like what I'm going to say, but it's absolutely critical if you want to make peace. So I hope to see you here. Y'all have a good week.